the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicle. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome in to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. I'm Bruce Hooley here with Josh Pick of Aptus Wealth Management. And for the next hour, we will be talking about getting you to financial independence, getting you to that place where, you know, you can relax a little bit about your financial future. It's hard to envision that in some of these volatile times, but that's what they specialize in Aptus, in investing and growing the nest egg that you have prioritized as a way for you to enjoy your retirement. Josh and the Aptus team are fiduciaries, which means they are legally obligated to do what is best for you. And we'll be discussing some of those strategies today. And we would certainly like to point out at the top of the show, as we will throughout, that you have the opportunity for a no obligation free consultation with Josh and the Aptus team. You can set that up by calling their office at 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040. You can also make your appointment online. Their website is Aptus Wealth. A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. They're located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750, which is not far from 23 and 270. But if you're outside the area and you hear uh, what you hear today and really like it and are intrigued and interested in some of Josh's strategies and the way that he is uh, adjusting for and managing the volatility out there in the markets, uh, you can certainly become a client and uh, be serviced remotely. So uh, welcome into the show, Josh. And we always kind of take this first segment and uh, filter your expertise through the headlines of the day. And we will get to the situation in uh, the Middle East, which is a volatile situation. And anytime we have a volatile situation, uh, it can play into financial markets and have wide ranging impact. But let's start with the guy who has certainly had the spotlight on him throughout the last uh, several years, Fed Chairman Jerome Powell. Uh, he's talking this week about the 10 year treasury climbing to a new 16 year high. On Thursday, he has raised rates. I think we've had 10 interest rate hikes uh, this uh, well last period of time. And his quote was, it may just be that rates haven't been high enough for long enough. So he did not commit to another rate hike. But what did you think of his assessment and the uh, aftermath and the reaction in the treasuries to his statement? Well, you're absolutely right. All eyes have been on Jerome Powell and what he's going to do. And I think Large in part, that's because we've seen this before. Uh, if you look back to the 1970s, we had a period of time where CPI crested at about 12%. Ours crested at about 9 We simultaneously raised interest rates just like we did here recently to try and thwart off the inflation. But then we made a kind of a critical error back in the 70s. 
And that was, we thought that we had it licked earlier than we really did. So we started actually lowering interest rates to spark the economy, which kind of hit uh, us with a little bit of a double whammy where rates started climbing, had to start climbing quick again. And we ended up topping out higher than, you know, the previous numbers. So I think on one hand, uh, you could look at it and say, well, if I was trying to buy a house or do something like that, the threat of increasing of interest rates beyond where they already are is quite concerning. But on the other hand, believe it or not, for the long-term virility of the economy to really get inflation under control, uh, his mentioning that he's willing to continue to raise interest rates again is is kind of a good sign. Yeah, and uh, we mentioned the Middle East, and we've also uh, in past shows have talked about, you know, government creates inflation, and COVID created a unique situation, and we sent checks to everybody, and spent a lot of money. And I think everybody's pretty unified in thinking that inflation is a result of the uh, aid that we offered the American public due to the uh, the COVID checks and things like that. Now with this Middle East situation, we have a situation where the government, Joe Biden made a speech last night that, that he's uh, asking Congress for $100 billion in emergency funds to support Israel, Ukraine, Taiwan, and to bolster U.S. border security. Uh you can debate the nobility of that or the destination of that, but it's but it's more government spending, which I would think would sort of make more difficult this threading of the needle that Jerome Powell is is trying to do. Well, not only is he trying to thread the needle for the purposes of inflation that we can understand, meaning all the spending that happened during COVID, but now we have more spending. But then we also have that wild card that we had. Again, I hate to keep on drawing similarities back to the 70s, but we we had an issue with oil back then, too. So as we're looking at the fighting in the Middle East, and, and it's first, I'd like to say, you know, we obviously, our thoughts and prayers go out to everybody in Israel and Gaza. We're, we're talking about money when they're talking about their lives. So we can't say that too lightly. But, um, you know, as we look at that and we think about oil, you know, oil could, if we have a big oil uh, price spike, well, that is a systemic problem that hits the cost of every good and service that we uh, essentially use. So, I think on one hand, they were probably trying at the political level to try and protect the price of oil, protect people simultaneously, while knowing that if you spend money you don't have, it's going to have an inflationary effect. But maybe it's the lesser of two evils to try and protect the price of oil and the people involved in those those countries. Josh's firm, Aptus Wealth Management, located in Lewis Center, 614-917-1040, the number you can get a hold of them on the web. Make your appointment for your no obligation free consultation via the web at aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. So I'm not exactly sure on the calendar, but we had a period of time where gas was a lot more expensive here in central Ohio and I think around the country than it is right now. Uh, there are some places, I know Arizona, California, it's still way up there. But what did we learn about uh, investing and adjusting investments in that period of time where gas here was $5 a gallon or more, which, you know, it's not too hard to envision. We might be headed there again with uh, with Iran and with the Middle East and it being so uh, so consequential to world oil prices. Yeah, well, I think, you know, every time is a little bit different, but every time is a little similar. Um, and, and the question that I get all the time is as we're looking at this uncertainty, this geopolitical uncertainty around the world. Uh, we're looking at the fact that we're battling inflation here. We're looking at potentially an overvalued market by a lot of estimates, you know, and there's always two sides to every coin. There's proponents and opponents of everything that I'm saying. But in general, as you start adding up all these things, it starts pointing you towards caution, uh, caution in the equity markets, 
caution and investing in volatile things, but you have to always look for where's the benefit elsewhere. So let's say that all of these things come true, where the Fed has to continue to raise interest rates, where oil prices go up, where the market is overvalued, and we start to see a lot of downward pressure in the stock market. That doesn't necessarily mean that we'll have a systemic downward pressure around the world. We're speaking particularly of U.S. equities. If that's the case, what other asset classes would do well in an environment like that? Mm-hmm. Money market accounts, tips, short-term uh, bond funds or short-term bonds, um, things like gold would actually fare very well during that type of an environment. But what if we're wrong? Because if you would have told most people after COVID uh, hit that we're going to spend $5 trillion, put everybody out of work, uh, and then the market's going to skyrocket, nobody would have believed So sometimes uh, the market can be successful almost seemingly in spite of itself. So you kind of got to plan for that as well. So what are some things that you can do to participate in the market while limiting your downside risk? We've talked a lot on this show about hedging strategies, et cetera. So if you want to build that kind of all-weather, make yourself feel good about current economic conditions, you can't be passive and just cross your fingers and hope that it's going to be okay. You have to build the allocation that is palatable for you. And in a lot of instances, that means leaning a little bit more towards cautiously optimistic rather than blindly optimistic, maybe minimizing U.S. equity exposure or hedging against it, and then maybe buying some alternative asset classes that will favor well in there, and then just putting your money in things that you know over the next 6 to 12 months you're going to earn 5 to 6% in. That can be a very good kind of safety net, make you feel good, and make some money along the way. Yeah, that's what I was wondering is like, first of all, tell me what a tip is. And second of all, like we talked about this treasury rate being high is is, it is around 5%. I think we've talked a lot about bonds on the show. People have had because we've had a just a a, an on ramp to making, you know, eight to 10% in returns. We got used to that and mortgage interest was down and you could, you know, companies could borrow money and invest and all that. We've been in a really good investment environment that's obviously changed. So people scaling back their expectations from what they used to uh, almost demand to what's a more manageable number that they can take a lot of risk out, whether it's bonds, whether it's treasuries or whatever a tip is. Yeah, well, a tip first is it stands for Treasury Inflation Protected Security. So think of it as a a bond that tracks inflation. So as inflation goes up, tips do well. As inflation go down, they don't do as well. So do I think now is the best time to run out and buy a tip? I do not, to be clear. But if we reached one of those points where we had a double dip and you started to see, well, inflation's running out of control again, we didn't raise interest rates enough, as Chairman Powell said, you know, I don't think we've had them high enough long enough. Well, then it's possible that we could have a second run up, in which case tips could favor very well like they did over the last 12 months. Now, all of that being said, there's always a challenge if you're going to run to safety and then run back to the equity markets, right? That's that's always a risk because you, on one hand, you say, well, 5 or 6% sounds really good, but I know that that's not going to be what I need forever. And the other issue might be, well, what if interest rates do in fact go the other direction? So I locked up my money for five or, at 5 or 6% for maybe 12 months. And then in 12 months, I go, okay, now what? And I can only get three and the market is still really, really high. Well, now what do I do? So you have to have somewhat of an all-weather approach while you still have ownership in companies that have long-term, you know, profitable outlooks that hopefully provide a dividend so you get paid along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, you still have things like 
uh, other asset classes that ger- derive income like CDs and money markets and fixed annuity contracts that are paying pretty good. I mean, you can get in the high fives right now, guaranteed. And if rates continue to climb, I think there's going to be a large chunk of the population that says, if you can guarantee me six and a half or seven percent for five or 10 years, that gets it done for me. So I'm okay locking up a significant chunk of money there. The point again is don't just cover your eyes, put your head in the sand and hope that it's all going to work out. Be proactive, but don't be foolish. Yeah, and a part of being proactive, folks, is having somebody that is uh, monitoring your investments and monitoring market conditions and understands market conditions. I mean, my wife and I became clients at Aptus because, you know, we're not ready to retire, but we're looking at it over the next decade. And it's like that point in time where, hey, this is a very uh, bad time to make the wrong decision and commit to the wrong decision. And so, you know, getting to know Josh over the years doing this show never solicited my business. And I thought, you know, that was pretty interesting in the fact that he was pretty secure in what he did, that he wasn't soliciting me as a client. We sat down, we went through our consultation with him and the team, and we really, really liked what we heard in terms of mitigating some of this risk and volatility out there. So if you'd like to have that conversation, they'd love to have it with you. 614 914 914-917-1040 or so a thought came to me when you were talking about uh, maybe if people do scale away from stocks and scale away from equities and they go toward these safer investments, what does that do to companies that, you know, form the American economy? If people are not buying them, that would seem to me there's a kind of a back end reactive cost on that to the American economy when people are looking for safer havens. Yeah, that's always the risk, too, is that kind of matriculation risk as people are leaving stocks that demand goes down for that stock and what kind of impact does that have on the price? And where you can really see the impact of this is is through institutions. If you think about the amount of uh, pension money that's in the United States amongst both public and private pensions that are run by large institutions who have very strict criteria on achieving very strict, uh, strict objectives, meaning they have to make sure they have enough money to pay out all of these pension holders for the rest of their life, They have very strict criteria on what they can purchase and how much risk they can take. And if they can derive a 5 or 6% guaranteed rate of return, they will absolutely go grab that. And when they do that, we're not talking about moving your $100,000 or $200,000 401k. We're talking about moving billions and billions of dollars in one click. And that can have a very significant problem. I think we're already starting to see some of that over the last week as we're seeing the impact of both what's happening in the Middle East, the impact of the conversation that Chairman Powell had, and then also the impact of what is the risk-free rate of return that institutions can receive. And there's been a little bit of a sell-off. And we've seen that over the last week in declining stock prices. So again, as we're talking about this, what do you do if you're an individual investor? Well, you have to criteria, what are my short-term, medium-term, and long-term goals? From a long-term perspective in that 10, 10, 15, 20-year timeframe, Stocks are still a very attractive place to be. In the shorter term, I'm five years out from retirement. Well, I think you're probably taking on a significant amount of risk if you have a lot of equity exposure with the amount of money that you're going to need in three to five years. So you have to play it a little bit differently. Set up your consultation with the Aptus Wealth Management Team, 614-917-1040. Their office is located in Lewis Center. That's off Route 750, not far from 23 and 270. Their web address, where you can also make your appointment, is aptuswealth.com. Phone number 614-917-1040.
Okay, so we're not predicting anything at all here. I'm just curious. You talked about these pension funds and these big chunks of money that they have invested. My guess is they've invested in certain sectors that they really like. I know there was a uh, topic that came up last week. We talked about utilities because utilities have typically been a sector where you can get a sort of a, a predictive return. If this is to happen, if 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 these pension funds are to adjust and go for the lower, more guaranteed rates of return, and it has an impact on uh, the equity market, the stock market, it, are there certain sectors that have typically been favored by these big pension funds that might be at more exposure, or is it more of an across-the-board investment in the entire S&P 500? Of course, there's going to be certain pension funds that have more focused uh, allocations to certain sectors. But in general, I think it would be a systemic problem across the board. So just think about the entire S&P 500 being negatively affected as a whole as a result of that you know, pullback in equity exposure, um, which, you know, again, can cause some pretty big problems. Are there opportunities if that occurs? Of course there are. But again, you just got to build that all-weather approach and one that you can live with. And I think sometimes we get wrapped up in the where should I be in my category? You know, well, I'm X years old and I have X years until, and I, I wish we were all that simple, but we're not droids. Uh, we have emotions and we're people and we react irrationally sometimes. So I think, you know, when we look at times like these, we have to say, what is realistic for me? And I'll give you a very clear example of this. I have a client who is in his mid forties. He is in this, uh, somewhat in this business. So he knows all of the statistics that we're talking about. He's been doing this for decades. If you look at his portfolio, it would look like somebody who's 70 years old. And we talk about it and I go, why, why are you comfortable just getting 5.6, 5.7%? And he said, I know all the numbers. I know if I just put the horse blinders on and I ignore it, I'll do far better than that over a period of time. But I also know that I can't put the horse blinders on. And I know that if the market pulls back 30%, I know me, I know I will panic. I know I will do something foolish. And negative 30 sounds a lot worse than positive 5.6 every single year. So I'm going to go with that. So, you know, on the surface, you would think he's making a critical error. But in reality, it's the perfect plan for him. And as long as he saves enough to meet all his objectives, he can predictably guarantee that he's going to get there. So, you know, in times like these, I think it's time to kind of to kind of take some inventory, not just on what are my options available, what do I think the market's going to do, but also inventory on yourself. What are you capable of handling? Because there are outcomes that could occur that are negative, and there always will be. Yeah, absolutely right. And I think there's great wisdom in knowing yourself well enough to know that you want to, avoiding risk, we, we think of that as like risk in terms of losing money. But there is a risk to making a wrong decision, making an emotional decision. I think one of the common threads on this program is that we talk about you got to take the emotion out of it. You got to make purposeful decisions that have good reasoning behind them. And I know part of our consultation when we sat down with you was your assessment of what kind of risk we were comfortable with. That's a big part of a working relationship between a client and Aptus Wealth Management. It'll absolutely be addressed during your free consultation, 614-917-1040 to set that up. 614-917-1040 to set that up. Also do it online at Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, 
aptuswealth.com. And it's also important to remember, you know, when we talk about these potential scenarios where the equity market or companies might not have as much uh, money available to them to invest, if your reaction to that is, well, these companies make a lot of money and, you know, maybe they need to take a haircut. This is a, this is not like this does not happen in a vacuum. Like when a company does poorly, the employees of that company are are reduced. They go away. It's a lot like Josh talked about earlier and fuel prices permeate their way into everything. When when the American economy manufacturing or whatever sector you're talking about suffers, the workers are the ones who eventually suffer. And that's the real people that, you know, Josh is trying to help. Well, and on top of that, I mean, the real people are the ones that are buying the goods and services for all of the things that are getting out there. So if you if people are losing their jobs and they can't buy goods and services because the goods and services are costing twice as much because of oil prices, I mean, you can see how this kind of just the chain link effect starts affecting everything. And and my belief, Bruce, and I hope I'm wrong, uh, but my belief is we're going to have some bumpy times ahead. And And, you know, I think people are... Uh, either on one hand, they they want to be, you know, very polarizing that the world's going to come to an end by my widget uh, that'll solve all your problems. And on the other hand, it's all going to be glorious and great and nothing to see here and buy my widget here. I'm not suggesting that you need to buy any widget at all. What I am suggesting is I think you should be comp- cautiously optimistic about the next couple of years. I think that economic forecasts for U.S. GDP, for U.S. companies, for interest rates, for housing supply. All of these things look like they've kind of hit ahead at the same time. And that's not, a you know, throwing up a warning sign that, you know, we're going to be riding the streets. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just suggesting that, you know, it's been quite a long time where we've really had to batten the hatches and buckle down and stay within our means. And, you know, money was very cheap. You could borrow money very, very inexpensively. Um, we need to kind of go back maybe to those days of hunkering down a little bit and prepare for what could be some rough times. Yeah, here in the back half of the show, we're actually going to talk about what might be the new normal when it comes to mortgage rates and give you some numbers that will flesh out uh, and add context to what we talked about last week, which was, you know, this uh, this standard view of the American dream involved homeownership, which has become more difficult. We've got some numbers from cities around Ohio is what you need in income and things like that to buy a house now. But before we get to that, and as we wrap up this segment, Josh, like we hear this phrase all the time, the world economy. And I think my perception is that America has been the driver of the world economy for a long, long time. But now we have this Middle East situation. We have China, which is an economic juggernaut. We can talk about whether they're solid on financial ground or not, or doing it all with you know smoke and mirrors and borrowing. But how how consequential is America now to the world economy uh, compared to maybe what it was back in some of these times that we're comparing now to, like the 70s or the housing crisis of 2008? Well, I would say the playing field is is leveled, uh, but it's it's not level. You know, I mean, it's definitely changed over the years. But I'll, I'll give you an example. You know, we hear a lot about Russia and the threat of Russia. If you look at the GDP of Russia, there are three U.S. states, New York, California and Texas that have a larger GDP than the country of Russia. So, you know, I mean, we're still a huge, huge player in the world economy, uh, arguably the largest consumer in the world economy. But we can't ignore that China's made tremendous strides. Uh, India's made tremendous strides. Japan is still very much a significant economy. And and I almost breeze over Europe because it's, you know, so substantial. So, uh, but if it affects the United States, it affects the world, 
And if it affects Europe, it affects the world. And that's just the way that it is now. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, we are a juggernaut, and that's a really interesting stat that New York and California and Texas have larger GDPs than Russia. And when you're that big and when you're that consequential, uh, you can sometimes get away with mistakes. You can get sloppy. And uh, we don't get political on this show. We, we, we get real on this show in terms of how it affects your money and how it affects your retirement, because the worst case scenario is you work hard, you work diligently, you purpose to save. And because maybe you fell asleep at the switch or you were given bad advice by someone or you didn't follow through on something you genuinely intended to do, uh, you underachieve. It would really be in both Josh's view and in my view. Uh, a very avoidable tragedy for you to get to the point in your life where you wanted to make sure you had your end of life care locked down, you had your uh, quality of life locked down, and things transpired that uh, didn't have to transpire simply because, you know, you didn't follow through on that one particular step, that one item on your to-do list. So if that item is to set up your free consultation with Aptus, you can do it today, 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040. You can also make your appointment online at aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. And we'll be back with more on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Thanks for joining us today on the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show. Bruce Hooley and Josh Pick with you, and we will be talking about how you can adjust to some of the situations that are out there in the markets today and how Josh and his team at Aptus are ready to have a free consultation with you. No obligation at all. You get to know them. They get to know you, and you find out if you're a fit for each other. My wife and I are clients. I highly recommend you sit for that consultation because I know this. You'll come out of it with a greater perspective on things that matter and what matters more making sure that the money that you have set aside, that you have invested, that you have saved. And is there a difference between saving and investing? Yes, there is. And we will talk about that difference in this portion of the show today. But Josh, I know part of what you do at Aptus, a big part of what you do. In fact, I would say the defining uh, characteristic of what you do is to be proactive rather than reactive. So you're always looking at market conditions. You're always looking at developments out there. And part of that, of course, are news headlines. And some news headlines can have a minimal impact. We have a situation right now where we have volatility uh, in the Middle East. And that to me seems like one of these situations that could have widespread impact on financial markets. So without us talking about the politics of that situation, let's just talk about it from a financial perspective and your servicing of clients. What, when a situation like this um, occurs, are you guys keeping your eyes on in terms of how it could impact those people who have chosen to do their investing through Aptus Wealth Management. You know, I know we said this before in the first segment, but it always feels a little bit weird talking about, you know, the money aspect of uh, the tragedy that's happening in Gaza and Israel right now. So again, our hearts and prayers go out to the people affected uh, there. But, you know, from us trying to be good stewards of our money uh, in spite of that, I think the three main things you have to keep your eyes on are uh, oil prices, what impact, and it doesn't look like it's had a significant impact on oil prices yet, but that's still a very fluid situation depending upon how many nations get involved. Uh, two, how much money is the United States sending to that region of the world? Because, you know, as we've stated before, we are a debtor nation, meaning we are spending more than we are bringing in currently. We do not have a balanced budget. So every nickel that we print, essentially, to send over there has a potential impact on furthering our already 
inflationary uh, problems that we have in the United States. And then lastly, anytime U.S. boots hit the ground and we declare a conflict, that has an impact on people's perceptions of the U.S. economy. So that has not been the case yet. But if for whatever reason, God forbid, we end up with U.S. troops on the ground, that is something that we can't ignore. No doubt about it. And I know this, uh, Aptus is monitoring everything. And uh, if you would like to have that free consultation with Josh and his team, you can set it up, 614-917-1040, 614-917-1040, or uh, aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. Now, we talked last week about housing, and I've since done some research and found some numbers on what kind of income you have to have in some of the cities in the state of Ohio to afford your own home. We have, uh, I think, often heard in the headlines today that uh, our economic situation here is with uh, the Fed raising interest rates and then the mortgage rate going up and the housing uh, kind of sector being impacted by that. We've often heard it compared to the 2008 housing crisis. I wonder if that's accurate or if it's more accurate to parallel where we are now with the 1970s, where Paul Volcker was chairman of the Fed, where he was raising interest rates, and where we entered into the same kind of turn, downturn in the housing markets that we find now. It strikes me, Josh, that the conditions now are not the same as birthed the situation in 2008, because we're not doing subprime loans. We're not giving loans to people that aren't qualified. I think the banking industry has sort of realized the error of its ways and is not making those mistakes again. Yeah, I, I think there's similarities, but there's also a lot of differences. And, and I think you hit one right on the head. And that is, you know, go back in the uh, before the housing crisis, we were doing, you know, no doc loans, uh, subprime loans, no money down loans, you know, 80, 20 loans, et cetera. And we had a oversupply of homes at one point rather than an undersupply of homes. Now, fast forward till today, we certainly have an interest rate problem, but we have a supply issue. And if you look at the information that's coming out of central Ohio, at least, it doesn't look like we're really catching up to that supply issue. Then add in the whole fact that we have an Intel plant going in that's going to create a huge demand for homes, granted, you know, east of the city. But I've even heard some statistics where we won't even be calling ourselves Columbus within 10 years. We'll just be calling ourselves central Ohio because of the impact of that. So if you if you add the, the significant draw of homes that's going to be required from that, coupled with our already shortage of demand, I don't see housing prices going down to any appreciable amount anytime soon. And if you look at all the other housing, you know, things you can take a look at, like Zillow, et cetera, they're forecasting, you know, three plus uh, percent rate increases in homes over the next several years. So they're not showing a decline by any means. Now, I'm not immune to the fact that usually these types of Housing organizations tend to put some rose-colored glasses on their forecast because, you know, they have a vested interest in doing so. But I have yet to see the reason why housing in central Ohio will have a negative impact. Other parts of the country, perhaps, but I don't see it here. So here's some numbers generally from the late 70s and early 80s when we were going through that uh, crazy period where interest rates climbed as high as like 18 percent. Uh, existing home sales between 1978 and 1982 dropped almost 50%, 50%. So what are we seeing now? Uh, mortgage interest rates have obviously gone up. They've raised the average monthly payment on a median priced home in America. Median means half above, half below. So the average monthly payment on a medium, median priced home in America 
has gone up $670 or 38% over the past 12 months. What's the impact on uh, investors in that situation? Seems pretty self-evident if you have to take that big a chunk of money out of your budget to pay for your house, that's money you can't invest. Yeah, I think, well, not only is it, you know, as an individual family, has it really put a strain on your ability to do monthly contributions to things like 401k plans, et cetera. Um, but it's also stopped people from being as transient. You know, in the past, if you had a job opportunity in, you know, Kansas and you weren't married to Columbus, Ohio, you might move to Kansas, but now you can't help but factor in, I'm leaving a 3% mortgage and I'm moving into an 8% mortgage. So, you know, that transient nature of the employment category has started to slow down as well. Now, COVID's helped that quite a bit with, you know, as many people are that are working remote as they are. But that movement across the country doesn't seem to be as prevalent for at least for jobs. Josh Pick and the Aptus team ready to meet with you. 614-917-1040. 614-917-1040. Where is their office? It's physically located in Lewis Center, just off Route 750. That's not far from 23 and 270, maybe 10 minutes away from the 23-270 interchange. They do service a lot of their clients remotely from out of the area, but they'd like the consultation to take place in person, free no-obligation consultation. Set it up at 614-917-1040. All right, so let's dig into some of these numbers here in uh, Ohio. And uh, first, we'll start with the typical U.S. homebuyer's monthly mortgage payment is $2,866. That's an all-time high. Uh, it's a number I've never paid. Uh, and I wouldn't be comfortable paying it right now. It says the typical American household earns $40,000 less than the income needed to buy a median-priced home. And a median-priced home in 2022 was $75,000. So uh, we've got some issues out there with uh, people who want to buy homes. And just discuss your perspective, Josh, on uh I know investing and savings we're going to get into, but in terms of using the purchase of a home to build wealth, uh, do you view it as a consequential piece for a person reaching financial independence later in life? Or do you view it as one of a number of pieces, others being investment vehicles that you might want people to be involved with? It's one of a number of pieces. The advantage of owning a home is theoretically, and this hasn't been the case for a number of years, but rewind the clock back 40, 50 years ago, people would buy a home and then live in that home for the rest of their life. So they did the unthinkable, Bruce, and that was they actually paid their house off at some point. <laughs> and that means they no longer had a mortgage and interest payment, only taxes, which in the long run is a huge advantage. On top of that, they have price controls to some capacity over where they live. And one of the, the huge problems that I see in the current environment is most people are going to have a very difficult time affording a house, so they have to rent. But if prices continue to go up and interest rates continue to go up and inflation continues to go up, prices of rent will go up at least proportionally in the demand situation that we're in. We could argue that it'll go up disproportionately high. So if you think you have a problem today, you could have an exponentially larger problem tomorrow. So the value of buying a home really solves that problem. Matter of fact, if you can figure out a way to buy a home today, you know, we, we've heard the old adage, you know, you buy the house, you rent the rate. Theoretically, in the future, 
you might have the ability to refinance your house and actually end up with a lower payment rather than a higher payment. Now, I'm not suggesting everybody run out and bank on that, but that would be a huge advantage versus let's just roll the dice and see where rental properties go. Now, one of the benefits to renting a property is you are not on the hook for any sort of maintenance, et cetera. So you can achieve your goals potentially either way, but historically speaking, owning a home has been a huge kind of beneficial bedrock element of a strong financial position. So here's the good news, according to Redfin and their study of all this, and it is that uh, here in the Rust Belt, Ohio, we have some of the more affordable uh, homes uh, around the country. Other than Detroit, where the median price of a home is $52,000, which is up 19%, by the way, from last year, uh, the lowest income required to afford a home in the U.S. are three Ohio metro areas, Akron, Dayton, and Cleveland, all of which require roughly $60,000 to buy a home. I know you're all interested, as am I, in what that number is in Columbus, Ohio. Cincinnati, the number is $77,730. That's the annual income required to afford a median-priced home. Columbus, Ohio, the number higher. We're doing better than any other metro area in the state in terms of our economics. So, of course, things cost more. The amount of income that Redfin says you'd need to make is $90,000, $90,000 a year. And that year-over-year change, this is really going to speak to how things have changed in the markets. That income has uh, requirement has gone up 24% from a year ago. And the median-priced home in Columbus, so half are priced below this number, half are priced above this number, $331,000. Josh, those numbers to me say that when I bought my first house at age 28, it's a harder road to navigate for someone who's 28 now. There's no question about it. I mean, even if you rewind the clock back to the 80s and you say, well, I remember when I was in the 80s, you know, interest rates were 12, 14, 16%. Um, quite frankly, incomes have not kept up with the inflation rate on the price of homes. So if you compare interest rates, cost of home, and income, we are in a disproportionately more difficult situation now even than we were in back in the 80s. Now, how do we, what do we do there? Well, I remember when I was a kid, you know, people would say we, we, you know, rented or lived with our parents until we were much older so we could afford a home and put a down payment down. And we, we had this kind of time period over the last 20 or 25 years where that just wasn't necessary. Rates were incredibly low. You could put 5% down on a house. Supply was really, really high. Uh, you know, lenders and builders were willing to work with you. And I think those days are somewhat behind us. And that's just the harsh reality. Now, if you're in a position to buy a home, then good for you. But I think for people who aren't, it's it's going to be increasingly difficult moving forward, which is why you need to spend so much time and energy expanding your abilities, expanding your knowledge base, making yourself more valuable in the workplace. There is no better investment than yourself. And that can't be more emphasized uh, than right now. Yeah. And we talked last week about a solution to this is that maybe uh, instead of you get out of college, you buy your first house because rates are low is you get out of college and you really prioritize investing with a firm like Aptus that can help you get to that number where you can put down an amount of money on a home 
that your mortgage is much more affordable. Josh and the team can help you with that. They are absolutely, absolutely proactive rather than reactive to market conditions. And I think you'll discover that when you sit for your free consultation with them at 614-917-1040, their number to make that appointment. You can also make your appointment online at AptusWealth, A-P-T-U-S, AptusWealth.com. Now, you know, it seems we've, we've discussed before, there's always a headline that, you know, counteracts another headline that may appear doom and gloom. There's always a sunshiny headline. I think one of the things we might need to start thinking about, Josh, is there's been this characterization of, oh, you live in your parents' basement, you must be a loser. I've met a couple really impressive young people who live with their folks in nice homes and are purposing living with their folks in a nice home for a year or two or three to make sound financial decisions so that they can get into a position where they can buy a home. And the other thing is, I'm wondering if when we get sloppy in life, whatever it is, sometimes we need to get, you know, that figurative rap on the knuckles to uh, reorder our priorities. Uh, with the spending that we've done federally, with the corrective measures the Fed has taken, there's been a lot of debate over the last two years as we've done this show about a recession. And are we in a recession? And when we were in one by the old definition, which was two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth, the the reaction to it was, no, that's not really a recession anymore. But how much would a recession, admittedly a short-term hopefully short-term, painful experience. Is that the historically corrective measure to get all these metrics that we're talking about, the inverted yield curve, the wacky high treasury rate, the volatility in American equity markets, the housing market, is a recession sort of a, a cleansing thing that we learn our lesson and then don't repeat those same mistakes that put us in that position? There's, there's, Two tra kind of uh, trains of thought on this. Uh, on one hand, you have the, you know, the Jim Rogers, the Peter Schiffs, the, uh, you know, even Paul Volcker, for example, view on this. And it is, yes, at some point, you know, the forest has to have a forest fire to burn up some of the, the big trees. So the undergrowth has a chance to grow and then the forest ends up stronger and the ground's more fertile, et cetera. And the same thing is true of the economy. We have to sometimes get the fat out of the economy so that we can become more efficient. Um, on the other uh, hand, when we do that, one of the unfortunate byproducts of capitalism, and I'm not saying capitalism is bad, but one of the unfortunate byproducts of capitalism, at least the way that it's run in the United States, is that usually causes a larger disparity of wealth. So we consistently have this separation between the Wall Street element and the Main Street element. And what would happen when you have this inflationary pressure, for example, is, you know, if you're making a million dollars a year, the price of milk is not nearly as important to you as if you're making $40,000 a year. If you're making a million dollars a year, uh, you really don't care what the median home price is in the United States, but you certainly care when you're not making 90000 which is, according to you, the requirement to, to buy the median uh, cost home in Ohio. So I think you know, well, on one hand, I say, yes, it would be quicker and we would put ourselves at less risk to let some of this, as you say, kind of get cleansed out of the system. I think it could be uh, an incredibly tumultuous scenario for what is a large percentage of our population that, quite frankly, has no savings whatsoever to weather any storm. And we can argue about, well, they should have had the discipline to do that or insert, you know, pick yourself up by your bootstraps metaphor. 
but at the same time, it is what it is. And those folks that don't have any savings and are kind of on wooden legs right now and are wondering how they're going to afford rent, if we have that cleanse and get the fat out of the system, what kind of impact will that have on the overall economy because of the amount of people that will be displaced as a result of it? Yeah, it's great that you have that concern uh, because I think that speaks to your heart. And I think that'll come across, folks, when you do your free consultation with Josh and the team. No obligation at all. 614-917-1040. Aptus Wealth, A-P-T-U-S, aptuswealth.com. As we roll into the final five minutes of the show here today, Josh, uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, investing today, saving today. There's a difference between saving and investing uh, let's explore that a little bit with what you're doing at Aptus and adjusting to the things that out there that are out there so that people are invested in the right things right now. Yeah, the, the, the huge difference between investing and savings is savings pays interest. Investing pays dividends. Now, that dividend is kind of a broad brushstroke for a long term return. And think of it no differently than if I go and buy a pizza shop. Right. And I'm going to put the money into the pizza shop with the hopes that that money I invested pays me back in the form of an income for the rest of my life or for a really long period of time. And savings just really isn't going to do that to any sort of substantial mechanism. Now, that does not mean that we don't need savings. And one of the benefits of today's economy is you can get, you know, some pretty attractive savings rates. Uh, Money markets well above five, CDs up towards six, uh, as well as, you know, fixed insurance type products are up in that close to six category as well. And I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't have some of that, but at the same time, you do need to have some sort of investment that has a potential, at least, of returning a heck of a lot more than that, particularly inflationary times when we're looking at, you know, the Fed release that we have 3.2% inflation, but I don't think anybody listening or anybody on this call believes that to be the case. So if you're, if you believe real inflation is five or 6% and you're only earning five or 6%, you're really just treading water or swimming in glue. You're not going anywhere. You're not getting ahead. So, you know, when we look at what's happening in the economy, we've talked about the Middle East, we've talked about the potential of oil prices, the pressures of inflation. Um, We hear on the, you know, the radio and on television every single day, well, you better go put all your money in gold and food because the end is near. Uh, That has a lot of people scared. And perhaps rightfully so, because I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't be somewhat cautiously optimistic in a time like this. So knowing that there is a difference between saving and investing, what are some options that you could utilize that might be able to achieve both things? And I think the easiest way, which we've talked a lot about on the show, is hedging your bets. What that means is I would like to bookend the possibilities of what I could achieve. So I know if I invest in the S&P 500 and it goes up 40%, I'm really happy because I made 40%. If it goes down 40%, I'm ready to jump out the window. And I don't want that experience. So is there a way where I could design kind of an upside downside protection game? And the answer is you can. So, for example, you could invest in something that says if the market, if the S&P 500 goes up over the next 12 months, you get to keep a percentage of that. And that might be uh, anywhere from, you know, 5% all the way up to, you know, 15%, depending upon how much downside protection you want. Well, if you say, I want no I want no risk whatsoever, if the market goes up, how much of that do I get? Well, that, that's not going to be nearly as attractive. And in that instance, you might be better off putting your money in the money market and earning 5 or 6%. But if you're willing to say, if the market goes down 30, as long as you protect me against the first 20, 
well, then maybe you can get up into those, you know, low to mid teen type rates of return. And, you know, will the teens get you there? Uh, yes, that's a heck of a growth rate versus six. Now, am I suggesting that you put all your money in money markets and these hedged instruments? Well, maybe if that's what makes sense to you. But I think what it really points to is you have to diversify amongst different things that achieve a goal that makes sense for you. And sometimes those tools that you have available to you, you're not aware of. So it's our job, and you've spoke to this before, Bruce, to make you aware of those tools and educate you. Yeah, and that is absolutely, folks, what happened in uh, my consultation with my wife, Sherry and Josh, is that, you know, I thought, okay, well, the stock market makes me nervous. Well, I didn't know that there were uh, opportunities out there. And these companies are, these investment companies, they want your money. They want you to invest with them. They have to design vehicles that are attractive to you. And they understand your your uh, visceral hatred of risk and and all those things. And so I didn't know these options were there to us that we could, wait a minute, I can take a portion of the upside and I can limit my downside. So again, I've talked many times about the consultation, how I came out of it with peace of mind. And we really appreciate having a plan and understanding why we're in it. They did a great job at Aptus of explaining that all to me. I'm sure they will do exactly the same with you if you avail yourself of the opportunity for that free consultation. And you can set it up, 614-917-1040. Do it online, aptuswealth.com, A-P-T-U-S. Easy to locate their office in Lewis Center right out right off 750, maybe 10 minutes north of 23 and 270. And even if you're out of the area, they can service you remotely. Josh, it's always great to catch up with you and benefit from your perspective. We'll talk to you again next week. You as well, Bruce. Thanks. The airing of this program by this station is not an endorsement or recommendation by the station of the products or services discussed in the program. The station does not guarantee the results of any investments made by a listener to this program. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.